I-V-M. Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile, you're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Today, I have Manish Banker with us on Audio Gyan. Manish graduated with the distinction from Institute of Environment Design, Gujarat, in 1991. Thereafter, he worked at the Osho Commune International in Pune for two years, contributing immensely to Commune's varied ongoing projects. Here, he imbibed a new spiritual approach to spatial design as a means of connecting man with himself and his environment. Having identified the true meaning and the purpose of architecture, He established Tao Architecture Private Limited in 1994. Passionate and enterprising, Manish has a dynamic, creative energy and an innate love for nature. And today we are here to discuss his approach to architecture design and his philosophical ideologies. So thank you Manish for giving us your time and it's a real honor to have you on audio again. Oh, thank you Kedar. It's rather a pleasure of mine to be with you and share some of the ideas with which are rolling you know over my practice and my work thank you uh, so yeah manish i've come up with uh, five questions and uh, i'm hoping to have more like a philosophical conversation with you uh, <laughs> and let's see how how we unravel our uh, conversation so yeah. uh, first and foremost i'll start with a more abstract question like uh, it could be a very simple question but very deep uh, if you look at it from a why perspective right so what does shelter mean to you uh shelter shelter i mean you know if you primarily look at it that it shows uh, the sense of uh, settled man you know the sense of uh, safety sense of security and sense of comfort in within which you know you live or you be settled down to me uh shelter is not just a simple one layer word it has a multi layered meanings as you see that um, you know the shelter is primarily you know we understand uh, is a physical shelter correct uh but to me there are multi layers of even physical shelters for instance um, man is born with a simple body and the immediate shelter is the body which is been given to you to live within Mm-hmm. and to me that's a first shelter you come across oh and then then if you look at larger perspective then the ozone layer is probably the most away shelter mm-hmm. you know which protects us in an entire globe and to me that's also a shelter and uh, there are two physical shelters we by by default we are born with and then in between we see what are the other shelters you know which we within which we live mm-hmm. for instance in a house also is a shelter but then there are other bedrooms which are also shelter within shelter 
and so so there are multi layers and these are physical layers i'm talking about but also as a shelter you also have a intangible shelters which are psychological shelters or energetical shelters you know within which you feel comfortable because sometimes only physical shelter doesn't make you comfortable hmm. and we as human beings born not only with our physical body but we have energetical body also our spiritual body and our psychological body and those also require shelters hmm. which i find are the true purpose of architecture to meet maximum layers of shelters what is the difference let's say between car garage you know and a house i mean both are shelters but look at the car is a simple product hmm. and it is simply placed you know within four walls and that becomes a garage i don't think you can keep human being in a similar fashion as you put a car so i see that that the man is much beyond his physical body and uh, we who normally as people perceive architecture as a physical uh, or a tangible body where we see aesthetics which is visually you know seen but the experiential quality which architecture brings in you know brings you energetic shelter where you you know where you experience a qualitative connection with the nature and by nature again with oneself and to me that's something which makes a building converted into architecture so building is a mere garage but the architecture is a soul infused inside mm-hmm. so when you said uh, there are different intangible shelters as well right so uh, if i may go more abstract and say that is a state your uh, shelter is the country or patriotic political angle are are your, are these also shelter formats no i'll tell you the reason why i was yes, coming okay. to because then i want to understand that is architecture merely a boundary mm, no to me architecture is free of boundaries architecture the buildings are boundaries okay to me architecture is conceived or formulated by the space okay which is within the four walls hmm. so if you look at the true sense of architecture architecture is not the walls or the roofs or the floor to me architecture is generated as a gap or a space between or the among those walls and roofs and that's space mm. and the space is one which human being is looking for i mean otherwise how can you live in a house without windows and doors tell me i mean so we generate walls to formulate that space within Mm-hmm. and then that that's a true architecture so your focus generally is gone to the visual aspect the tangible aspect of uh, you know either walls and roofs but those are not the architecture those are a devices which generates a gap among those walls within which human being lives and that's the true architecture that's a space and which is boundaryless see the space is there all around but to live you have to create a wall 
and to formulate a space. Just to distinguish between what is outside and what is inside. Yes, even outside also is a space, right? Hmm. Right. The but then inside also you can create a space. But then inside is something which makes you comfortable within that shelter. So what you are generating is a shelter. Hmm. But shelter is the space within, and not those walls and not those roofs. So that forms inside and outside. See, what is inside is the same space as which is outside. But because of those four walls, that space becomes inside. Otherwise, the space was already there. But we put a four walls, and then it is converted into inside. No, but those four walls only define the space, right? Yes, they formulate the space. Hmm. They formulate the space, but. but there are openings also hmm. through which you get a light inside the air inside and then you connect those inside and outside space through those openings so walls are there like the walls can be in mud or glass or in metal or you know bricks and concrete but the space within is not affected by what is there you know as as hmm. a material like um, so is igloo a shelter yes like a pot you take a pot mm-hmm. or a glass which is made of either material like glass or metal or clay but the container hmm, is the space within hmm. which is nothing to do with by which material that pot is made of hmm. so igloo maybe in the because igloo is suitable for the maybe in those iceland hmm. but we have also igloos like bungas you know which is in desert of rajasthan or a kutch which are made of mud mm. so both serve the same purpose but the materials are different but remember the shelter is the same for people who living in iceland or in the in the desert of kutch mm-hmm. interesting and if i may go uh, more i don't know what domain it will enter into but uh, then what is um, what's the importance or what according to you is the underlying thread between which connects humans and make these shelters form right like why do they need architecture why do they need shelter see to me um the whether it is made of any material as i spoke that the energetic layer hmm. uh, by which man gets connected with the nature to me architecture is beyond building see when we talk about igloo or bunga or stone or they are all formulating those walls and roofs okay but 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 by formulating those walls and roofs what you generate inside is a space and that's what helps you to connect with the nature and also ultimately ultimate goal of any man or human being is to connect with himself see that's the whole journey for which everybody is born with hmm. and that's where you know that connection has to happen apart from living physically comfortable within the house you also have to see that your energetic body hmm. or your personal being is flourished you know evolved over the years and architecture can help architecture cannot help just like that but it can help or support those level of journey where you know energetically you meet yourself you connect yourself with the nature and be one with the existential phenomena which is happening hmm. 
which we call it either god or mother nature or whatever you may say hmm. but that's what i see is uh, the the <laughs> deeper layer of architecture apart from meeting your physical conveniences and comforts mm-hmm. so from my understanding at least cave is one example where you really have that solitude uh, but you have any other instances where uh, some architecture within india outside india as per your studies which has helped man to discover himself or herself yes uh see of course it is a thirst within the man okay drives him to meet you know those phenomena and then probably an example Haan, that but it's not to... only architecture influence but architecture supports that process Haan, so any instance and uh, of... yes uh, like for instance uh, you go to um, go to let's say any temple especially the sun temple in modhera in gujarat you know where the sun is um, captured you know on a particular day that it the sun rays falls directly on the deity you know and uh, and it has a kund in the front and one man is supposed to basically you know meditate and sit there inside and and feel that energy and then the whole cosmic energy you know through the rays of sun you know hits the center of a temple through particular window that helps um you know that to realize the cosmic energy and center of uh, uh, being one with the entire uh, space uh, space mm-hmm. so this is one example other is i have traveled to japan and seen you know the church of light designed by tarawando and you see uh, the way you know he has cut the concrete to allow sun coming within or the light coming within uh the church and in a shape of cross mm-hmm. and somehow it represents you know the the ultimate um, energy of a cosmos coming in and that's something which when in that particular space when you're silent and those temples and churches are designed to rather bring you in that silent mode and be aware uh, the other incident is uh, in my visit to japan and i came across a church of light designed by tarawando where he has carved a cross you know within the concrete hmm. in a very uh, minimalistic you know sense which allows the whole focus going on the light penetrating through the concrete wall in the shape of cross and to me when you are sitting in that silent zone of a church in the four walls where the cross light you know cut into the concrete penetrating and you're looking at that somehow makes you realize that there's something which is beyond body which is beyond you know four walls or which is beyond the physical uh, entity and uh, this one more incident uh, i put it across is um, like in a visited falling water house of frank lord wright in us uh, which was my case study when i studied architecture and somehow i was so touched by the entire uh, organic architecture he has generated which is probably one of the most famous house in the world but it's not for its physicality but the way it is set 
for man to experience you know the magical presence of nature all around and so beautifully designed to me for any architect it's a treat but for the people to live in is something which i'm sure you know must have touched the bottom of uh, our essential living as a part of you know the entire existence and that's something which i find you know that architecture can go to the ultimate level mm-hmm. for people to make an experience you know the beauty of uh, being one with the nature mm-hmm. this is very fascinating for me to at least understand that there's a different altogether different perspective to look at architecture <laughs> so yeah and in fact uh, that leads to a more um like a real life practical example because i met uh, balkrishna doshi sir also when oh, i was in sangat okay. mm-hmm. and uh, i asked him more about vastu shastra what it is and he said that it's the science of nature yes and uh, obviously i didn't have the time or the knowledge or mm-hmm. the questions prepared also to ask him further on okay. those lines but uh, i have a very generic question which i have found in your um, uh, few uh, online videos as well okay. and i want to ask you what is the importance of direction when it comes to building architecture example like east versus south facing mm-hmm. i don't want to get into the historical aspect yes. but just to understand your perspective on how do you see directions and uh, i've been doing some interior work of my house right now <laughs> and they said that uh, okay. agni side pe if there is a chula hona chula hona chahiye so i don't get it okay. and i just okay. on the face value take certain things but yes. if you can just highlight upon some underlining principles around it okay, yeah see primarily vastu shastra is a science of understanding nature especially you see the buildings are predominantly defined by the sun path because you need to have air and light you know within the architecture that makes architecture so the wind and the sun you know are the two primary aspects you design around the house and uh, and your house um, it is defined by how the sun path is there like you know the east may is rising and then the west it you know sets and uh, and different uh, conditions uh, and locational where you know values the house is designed because sometimes you need a lot of sun sometimes you don't want sun inside so in the uh, and uh, sometimes you want air inside but you don't want sun to come in and there are various aspects so there are certain principles which are designed you know which are defined rather to to guide you know people to de- to design their houses and uh, uh, and so they are all scientific pro- principle set but they are uh, nowadays see, the vastu shastra is uh, gone beyond you know those um, logical science and god more driven by the superstition set you know by some of the shastras who are neither architect you know nor engineers but they are pandits hmm. and uh, who have no knowledge of uh, science of architecture <laughs> people being ignorant you know uh, are rather taken on a ride uh, about some specific principles which they don't care about actually the original science and um, everything is commercialized nowadays i mean why somebody would come and give you advice by getting paid you know for simple principles of where the sun 
sun should sun see you know sun is rising you know but somebody comes and gives advice to me everything is commercialized <laughs> and um, uh, they also ride on the uh, the fear you know people carry because everybody is fearful of future um somehow or other and um, and it's very easy to you know connect such uh, aspects of vastu based on the shastra hiding you know uh, the truth behind them and then driving people to just simply make more fearful you know and they inject some kind of viruses in the heads of people and i been practicing architecture and not a single client who's come you know without that sort of equations that what is true was to you know <laughs> and uh, we realized that uh, we need to guide people as an architect i do not use this propaganda of vastu shastra to define our design but we simply follow i mean as an architect we are taught to understand the sun path the wind direction the cross ventilation the passive cooling system which earlier our houses is to be in such a nice way without air conditioning and electrification we had a very cool system of living in in the rajasthan and gujarat where i come from and if you go to kashmir they even the harsh winter people used to be comfortable inside now people don't care this shastras don't care about you know what comfort zone is they just simply set four directions and they put you inside whether you are in kashmir or in rajasthan and people simply follow that because of the fear you know mostly people carry within them i think true vastu shastra is something which is purely science based on the nature and it has to be understood and practiced by architects rather than following uh, the shastras but unfortunately that's something which architects won't have control on the people because they don't want to go deeper into the science of architecture they want to have some ready made solutions is like allopathy you know people want just a little tube on top to put they don't want to go into the roots of the health mm-hmm. people just want little you know tablets to get themselves you know okay so this is how i think the architecture has been driven mm-hmm. so so directions are important probably or but that is only when they are followed for the right purpose of following you know them mm-hmm. other than superficially you know following them and putting your kitchen on one particular direction i think as long as you get a proper cross ventilation a good sunlight earlier kitchen is to be on the east because you want sun rays coming inside your house so when your house you know is facing east or kitchen facing east then you get a direct sunlight coming in your kitchen that is to keep your kitchen very hygienic people is to cook early morning and you know that we didn't have that time um, the kind of cleaning devices and those uh, you know the light properly no, like electricity, electricity also, also. so these were principle developed nowadays you can put exhaust fan you know you put a electrical light and still get you know the better kitchen and uh, they set some kind of uh, directions and particular corner to put your you know within the kitchen also then there are, i have heard that people you do put your chula or your stove in a particular corner mm. i mean this is going even further extreme and uh, and who cares you know what is actually the true nature of vastu people hardly care about planting trees and you know, outside the house <laughs> but they care about you know where the stoves would be okay, okay. so so it's it's a you know, wrongly driven phenomena mm. mm-hmm. mm. obviously i believe vastu shastra can be like a complete 
probably a 12 part series or 21 part series <laughs> with is just documenting all the ideologies there but not shall i tell you that uh, that see the weightage of intelligence hmm. is getting reduced in the superstitious vastus has followed hmm. right yeah. because you create a set up a belief system and follow that hmm. but the intelligence the true me true architecture is something or the true vastus has is following the intelligence hmm. following the true principles of science Correct. and then following and that's something which is important hmm. yeah to document that i'm saying it will take some time yeah uh so uh, manish i wanted to ask you last two questions uh, uh manish i wanted to ask you ask, uh, ask you last two questions like uh, what are your views and this is also i've asked multiple people uh, whom i've interviewed at least in the architecture space uh, that at least this is my observation where cities or places have started looking similar like pune would look like a belgaon or Hmm. or say chandigarh would look like uh, i don't know ludhiana or bombay will look like a new york like right there are these steel flyovers and glass buildings which are just popping up uh, and to this balkrishna sir obviously gave a beautiful answer he said that the architects are no longer poets yeah. uh, and it's a beautiful <laughs> way to put it obviously but i wanted to know your perspective uh, as to why this is happening and uh, if you have traveled more obviously then your observations would be different but this is just my take so uh, you can i see that uh, and yes especially your question is relevant to the cities and hmm. um, and the cityscape has started looking very monotonous you know, because if but if you look at our city especially in india first of all they are ignorant about uh, the value historical value of the city we hardly um, you know uh, take care of our heritage structures which talks and represents our historical evolution mm-hmm. of those cities we cover them very comfortably you know with those banners around and uh, and we don't really want to see the face of the true face of our cities which has been growing for last 200 or 100 years <coughs> another side Uh, everything is getting commercialized in the cities each space even like a small surface on the building that's utilized by some of the big banners you know to, to commercialize yeah. billboards or uh, they want to cover it maximum space they hardly care about the sun or you know they want air to to put your glass right at the extreme edge so that you get maximum space utilized inside and so buildings are looking boxes <laughs> of glass and thin skin which burns your air conditioners like anything in the cities um so our i see that it's in our ignorance about uh, valuing our own cities our own space within which we live and we allow commercial activity to rather uh, dominant be dominant on uh, our apparent cities mm-hmm. we have also lost uh, we have given away rather our cities to all those commercial billboards and commercial development we haven't controlled our own uh, value especially through our heritage structures and whatever the new construction or the bridges and the requirement is endless like you know we want to go faster and faster within the city so we create more flyovers rather than controlled public transport you know we allow more private transport to move which is 
which is uh, endless and uh, we want wider and wider roads and less and less space for the gardens and trees you chop most of the trees so what we see are only buildings so to me it's just an ignorance about our own sensitive approach with which city you know started growing mm. for instance uh, not only the built environment but look at the what we are treating our rivers around which our most of the cities have grown mm. now since we got a water on a tap we hardly care about the river mm. and uh, we are totally ignoring rather using especially in pune the rivers are nothing less than gutter they are just they Nala. dump they, they dump all the sewage within the water and what is that because we do we don't need water now because it's come it's supplied by tap and you pay for it and see the other aspect here there no is that uh, that you know our urban life is influenced by various products like cars and appliances and fashion and phones no which are industrial products globally available everywhere so what happens that our aesthetics and our way of looking at each product has become almost the same hmm. we have not started distinguished we we not getting distinguished by our locational values hmm. but by the global um, you know products bombarding you know on ourselves and there's nothing wrong in it to have aesthetics like our fashion you know we wear jeans and trousers which are global nowadays we have lost our own fashion of dhoti and kurta similarly architecture is also now been driven by a global uh, industrial products like steel glass you know and it's they easy to you know available and execute your work mm. and fast as so anything which is speedy you know is prepared is more preferred mm. so what has happened that all these thing has started um, influencing our um, you know the infrastructure around which we live mm. so and it's quite obvious that you know once you pick up those industrial products it's they start looking almost the same mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in that movie which i saw uh, as in in that uh, film like a sh- short mm-hmm. clip on youtube which i saw um, you you worked on one project in jodhpur where you uh, utilize the stones there yes. so so if you can tell us that how tau architecture has been uh, trying to avoid this commercialization or utilizing local resources to give its own distinct style yes sir, it's so important the architecture is is something which requires to be local hmm. uh, f- simple reason is the climate which you cannot like you can bring you can't bring european climate you know to the jodhpur <laughs> so you can't bring those european architecture to the jodhpur and jodhpur is prominently having a harsh sun you know it's called sun city and has to have a climatic uh, solutions as a part of integral construction technology which you need to adapt so and we if you if you refer our historical buildings they are full of wisdom hmm. because that time they were not over exposed to the global market they were even the global market was not there, that yeah, not everyone and that helped them to generate their own solutions 
and every region has their own specific materials. Mm. It seems that they are meant for that climatic you know, conditions. And the Jodhpur stone, the sandstone, is an ideal material to keep your house warm in the winter and cool in the summer. So we adopted a local quarry stones uh, to build house. And we went ahead, you know, and we referred some of the good architecture, even of the old havelis, hmm. to find that how the cooling phenomenon was taken care of by having a passive cooling system integral with the architecture. We also studied the works of uh, architect Nimish Patel, who has done phenomenal work in his life, you know, to to bring those traditional wisdom into the contemporary works of architecture. And then we learned a few things and we started adopting. And to me, there's nothing wrong being a researcher and learner to develop your architecture. And we thought that we'll set up also a language which is a contemporary in style, but adopting the traditional wisdom as a core value to design a building. And our Jodhpur house called Sunyam, which won a national award you know, for its um, design aspects. And we are proud and happy to share with you that. Thank you. Wow. Um, uh, Manish, I would like to conclude with one last question. Um, what, according to you, should be the focus area for architects in the coming decades, uh, obviously to make sustainable living or any other uh, parameters which you consider are important in a longer run, maybe two decades, three decades out, or even ten decades, I don't know. I think uh, sustainable living and being aware about the entire ecological system is the core concern, you know, for any new generation coming. And especially architects are also primarily a bigger culprit, you know, to 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 bring a carbon footprint, you know, on the earth. Not only architects, but they are primarily responsible for it. And I find that architects need to be uh, more sensitive uh, in their practice hmm. to demonstrate a better solutions, which are more eco-friendly, rather than helping, you know, development to go fast but absolutely ignorant about the future. Uh, and uh, our, if you look at the development of current scenario, is, is most of the time trying to gain short-term gains, you know, and losing out on the long-term results. We are ignorant about our own sustainability. For instance, Cape Town is losing the water. Bangalore is supposed to be the next city in the world which will not have water. And then many other cities are aligned, you know, in the queue. Are we not sincere enough to think about our next generations? Hmm. And architects do definitely carry a larger responsibility apart from the policymakers and the politicians who are defining those current scenarios for new generations to actually step into and you know, replace ourselves, you know, mm. in coming years. But I've, I, I'm sorry, just I don't want to blame any particular builder or an mm. architect, or uh, in fact, not mm. even an architect. But what I've observed is there are these independent architects or relatively small-time people, but then who 
poor these architects were designing lodha and rustam ji and <laughs> it's, yes. it's like i'm just not taking brand this, name but yes, it's just, yes. these are the people which you see in the cityscape building like 150 floors ka towers and like yes. these are glass buildings see to me there's nothing wrong you know building or buildings uh, which are are need based hmm. but to me our buildings are gone beyond need based you know they want to uh, go fast they want to have a speedy recovery of profits uh, at the cost of our own environment which are i think bothersome and and everybody should ask question to themselves whether they are only doing for the commercial reasons or are they having any responsibility towards our own globe towards our earth mother earth and ensure that um, that whatever we do today you know will have a less and less impact on the ecological system which will because we are going to last for a few years and the earth and globe has been there for million years and we want them to continue we are the one who was taking this thing on a granted and spoiling our own globe which probably we need to ask questions to ourselves and i think that's the major responsibility of every citizen of this globe including all architects to continue and questioning themselves beautiful beautiful uh obviously there are tons of things we started off from uh, body being the shelter <laughs> till ozone and then coming down to uh, i think the whole conversation was around being more introspective and understanding where we are heading uh, and it's an individual responsibility which everyone has to uh, look after so i think that uh, that is a good note to end this uh, thank you manish for giving your time it was wonderful talking to you and i hope i can call you again for another interview where we can probably discuss a particular case study which will be more insightful in terms of how tau architecture has helped people to uh, or help spaces to be more inclusive more sustainable and uh, yeah on that note thank you once again thank you very much thank you very much and hope that mm, our our work keeps on helping ourselves as well you know because we are also evolving and our efforts are always positive and let's hope that something better comes out sure sure all the best for that thank and you very much thank you and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye Hello! It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
and do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to appreciate them rate them and review them wherever you are listening to them you can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com/ibmpodcasts and finally we would like to thank our sponsors this week volvo xc40 recharge bumble heads up for tails kotak privy league program and hdfc mutual fund thanks guys without you this would not be possible Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.